0: Hello, humans. My name is Jesse, A.K.A. the Bizzle, and welcome to Bizzlecast number nine. We're almost at ten. This is awesome. Bizzlecast number nine. We're bringing back my buddy and published author Adam Smiley pozwalski Who, since our interview with each other a few weeks ago, he got a big book deal for his second book, which is really exciting. He's working with major publishers. He already has a huge ebook presence and independent book presence online, but this is going to take him to the next level. So, we're going to talk a little bit about that with Smiley. But as always, we're going to get into some super heady topics about the future of physical books and what the ebook industry is doing. We're going to talk about the sort of built in paradox of the self help industry of something that's supposed to help make you more dynamic, but is very static in its own right, and a lot of other topics. So we're going to get right into it. Hope you enjoy it. Bringing back my buddy Smiley talking about some great stuff here we go. Let me get this email up that will be a historical document someday. The mediocre (laughs) rise of Adam Smiley (laughs) Pozwalski. As documented on the Bizzlecast, of course, we get the exclusive.
1: Are you recording?
0: I'm always recording, baby.
1: You never know what you're going to get.
0: Dear friends and family, if you are receiving this email, it means you are an important part of my life and I care about you. I'm beyond excited to share that I've landed a book deal with Perigee, an imprint of Perigee, Pen- Perigee an imprint of Penguin Random House, to publish the follow-up to my self-published first book, *The Quarter-Life Breakthrough*. I'll be writing the book this year for publication in 2016. Smiley. Post-game thoughts. Thank you. Post-game thoughts.
1: Thank you so much.
0: He's a very yeah, baby. Guy. Yeah, baby. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, it's like, you know, it's like when Kramer gets the book deal in Seinfeld, you know,
0: Pe- pendant,
1: pendant, publishing it... my copy table book. It's a it's go yeah. first stop Regis and Kathy <laughs> Lee. Well, you know, man, Bizzle, I got to tell you, man, cause we, we spoke just, uh, you know, we did Bizzlecast cast the, the first time I was on, um, only about a month ago. Right. And, you know, it was a lot of uncertainty then. I didn't know, you know, I was working with an agent to do this book proposal, but you never know. You don't know if people are going to take it. We were kind you of, don't know. We
0: were kind of dancing around the issue a little bit, which is what... what yeah. You, yeah.
1: Well, I was working on making this happen, the, the book proposal, for about five or six months, but really it's been almost a two to three year process in terms of if you take all the time I spent with the blog and self-publishing this book. So really what I got to say is that you know, hard work matters and hard work pays off. Yes. Um, and, you know, I, I, really, I really hustled. I really worked a lot of, uh, on my own stuff without making much money, frankly, any money, for a long time with the writing stuff. And, you know, really, you know, you can say that there's some luck involved, but, um, you know, h- hustle really, hustle matters. And if you work really hard towards something that you care about, and towards something that's meaningful to you and to others, you know, good things start to happen. Um, And Mm -hmm. I think that that that's what this shows, that, uh, you know, I was going to keep going and doing my work regardless if I got the book deal or not, but this certainly makes it easier. And it's really just, it's great to get validation. It's great to get, you know, other people saying that what you're doing is good or that it resonates and it matters and that people want to give you some money for it. Or make it uh, help you get to a wider audience and get distribution. Mm-hmm. So it's really a powerful message to anyone out there that's a writer, a musician, a creator, mm. a podcaster, an artist, filmmaker, an entrepreneur. That you know, good things can happen, and that you know, sometimes it seems like you're there in the basement doing your work, or there in the library writing, and no one gives a shit and no one cares. Yeah, and that's often true. But people do care, and if you keep at it long enough, and if you keep going, you know you'll get that breakthrough, and and you know it'll it'll pay off.
0: Okay, so let's get down to business, and I'm going to keep this pretty ambiguous because I know how it works. You know, I was in the music business for a long time. I know how contracts work. I know how deals work. I'm not going to get into into any specifics here, but. As a label, we worked with management organizations for a lot of years. Now, we are a management organization. I have an idea of how management works. I know your field is way different. And, you know, it, you don't have to get into any specifics, but sort of what was going on behind the scenes a little bit in a general way that maybe we wouldn't know about outside of the book industry?
1: Sure. Um, well, the book industry, you know, it's, it's tough to break into It's really almost impossible to get a book deal with a major publisher or any publisher without an agent. Um, It's just the way the industry works, publishers, no agents. There's a certain language that um, book contracts use that really only a literary agency understands. Um, And it's in your advantage, basically, to work with an agent because you'll just uh, get screwed otherwise. Basically, Let let me
0: just jump in real quick. Is that what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. No, it is. I, I just want to clarify. So, in music, and even more so in movies, there's a difference between managers and agents. So, do you have someone who is a manager and someone who is an agent, or is it the same person in your, I guess, field or situation?
1: Yeah. So, in, um, so with me, I, have a, um, I was able to secure a, an amazing uh, book agent, my agent, Lindsay, who's amazing, um, and she just does literally my book deals. So she'll, you know, um, she's just contracted to get me a book deal. Um, and then, you know, if you have a manager or other agents that would be maybe for speaking or for your public right. appearances or stuff like that. So that, you know, varies, but with different authors do different things. I am now working with a, an agency that does my college campus bookings because uh-huh. those are very specific to the higher ed market. Right, Um, and then I do most of my other own my other speaking stuff on my own. Um, But there are speakers that will have like a a speaker agent, a literary agent, um, and maybe even if you do like TV appearances, a TV agent. So it Mm. could be like, or you know, Mm. um, or they might have a PR firm or a publicist too. So it's a lot of different people. I think other maybe in other professions, it's like you have one manager that does like all your affairs um like i think i know a lot of actors have that or musicians probably like one manager that's kind of managing your career
0: not, not um, really actually I, I, even in you know sort of global international music or whatever you know i hate the term world music but whatever in, in new you know hip awesome Global Music, we manage them, but there is a booking agent, and there's a PR agent, there's a marketing agent, there's an agent for the label, there's the label itself, there's the distributor, there's the, I mean, it's like, you know, a million ways to Sunday, and I have to imagine the book industry, and it sounds like it's in that arena a little bit.
1: Yeah, exactly, it's kind of all over the place, and I'm so, such a novice, and and just really learning about it, that, um, you know, I don't know much at all. Um, except for my own experience in talking to people, but I will say that even from people that have been in the game a long time that I've talked to, it changes all the time, and it's there are no like there's no one answer for everything, right? Everyone does a different thing. Some people say they, you know, everyone will tell you fifty different things. Some people say never to work with a publicist. Some people say their publicist is the only reason they make any money or they the only reason they get book deals. So I think it all depends on you and what your niche is, what kind of book you're doing, um, your topic of st- your topic of study and topic of work, and um, what kind of background you have. It, you know, I think with all these things is like you got to figure out what works for you. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for your work and for your business. Like I guess what we're getting at here is the business of being an author, the business of being an entrepreneur, the business of being a musician is a whole nother subject. From actually doing the work, right? right? And I think now you see this with, well, that's what with lawyers personalities. Are for. Yeah, and you've got, so you got, you know, it's like Bill Simmons does his his work and he's great Bill on Simmons, the podcast.
0: Bill Simmons,
1: shout out, baby. And he's a great writer, but he's also got what, maybe 10, 20 people probably working for him. One person that's Not doing his anymore. book deals, one person is getting his, his that is his lawyer because, you know, if he gets sued for millions of dollars, he's in trouble. He's exactly. His contracts are crazy.
0: Uh, quick side note, you might have seen the email I sent you that Simmons is being courted by HBO, apparently.
1: I, I saw the headline. I haven't opened the email. Which what, is brilliant. For what kind of show?
0: You know, maybe like a half hour, you know, sports show, like really well done, like inside the NFL or something. He could totally yeah. handle it, you know, and uh, he'd build up the whole podcast audience around it. I mean, you see a lot of things. Th- a lot of things about hbo but having a large podcast following i don't think is one of the things they have so
1: oh yeah he would kill it and you know how much i love hbo sports um my buddy ryan goldberg huge uh journalistic influence of mine and buddy uh um, who who you've met in new york you've chilled at um at Best ryan's house sushi
0: <laughs> meal ever i literally threw yeah. up for like three days after that <laughs> I don't know if it was the sushi or what, but oh my god, dim sum just destroyed us. Oh no, it was dim sum, it wasn't sushi, it was Chinese it was, food. Dumplings, yeah, it was dumplings, food, yeah. it dumplings yeah. oh god. Okay. And well,
1: I just sidebar that, so Ryan actually works at HBO Sports. Yes. Uh, and he's, he's, he's worked in and out of there, he's done a, a bunch of projects for them. Which, um, which but, is our uh, second
0: friend to work at HBO Sports, by the way.
1: That's right, Gabe.
0: Gabe Spitzer, shout yeah. out, Big G.
1: He's done great work. Great Great work for HBO, great documentarian, Gabe. So yeah, anyways, we were talking about HBO Bilsen, so meaning like these people still have all these people working for them behind the scenes that you never hear about, but the business of doing your work is, is crazy.
0: Let's ask the question that we've all been waiting for, which is that you've got the book deal, you've got a timeline... We know that the first book was reaching out to millennials in a very accessible but, I think, profound way. At least have them think about their potential going forward. You definitely did not preach about what their potential should be. It's one of the reasons I love it. You know, quick sidebar, the whole fact that we have a self-help book industry that really should be divided at least four or five ways from a genre standpoint. I mean, the books are so unrelated. But your book was, I think, a self-help book in the best sense of the word. How do you follow this up?
1: Great question. Um, and it's, it's a challenge. So really, um, I think the book, um, I, I really want to go back to storytelling and really feature a lot more. One of the things that feedback-wise people love about the book is that there's no one answer. I'm not giving like the smiley recipe for how to be a success in your 20s or how to find meaning. There's so many options And I tell my story as one example, but then I also give the examples of, you know, 10 to 15 other young people that I know that I've met along the way and what they're doing. And some of those people are starting their own businesses, some are working at nonprofits, some are working in tech, some are artists, some are musicians. They're all over the place. And that's the point. So that the reader can kind of say, like, oh, like, cool, that's not me, but I'm still inspired by their story. Oh, this person really is me. Maybe I don't even want to follow up with them. You know, or they you know, you kind of see yourself in it and also see that there's no you're good. Like there isn't one answer and there isn't one path. And to just give people as many options and get them excited as possible. Um, I think is is where I'm where I'm headed. So I have all these like new stories I want to tell in the second book. Um also I wanna make it so a little bit more interactive. I wanna give people like a space to jot down notes, ideas, reflections even fill out doing visual exercises in the book mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that it's almost like you have this little thing on your Very coffee practical. table or your desk that's practical that you can kind of return to mm-hmm. um, and that you just do it there. Like I think the problem with so many of these career books is that they're like, yeah, my dad got me that book. I'm never going to read it. You know, right. it's like 350 pages, like with right. 17 appendices. And you're just like, ah, you
0: Speaking know, I want which- this to be the... That sounds like Dune, which I have noted you have not even <laughs> attempted to read.
1: It's on my shelf, though. I, I, don't want,
0: I want. I it on your night table. I don't want it on your shelf. Yeah. Don't be fooled by the Although number of pages. People, it's. It, it people does, like, keep no quoting
1: way. Dune at the most random events to me. Like I, I've been quoted that book like three times in the last two months. At like very distinct settings. Like one was at summer camp. One was in like a like you know business training. Someone was quoting Dune. One was in a it's movie. Amazing. It was so weird. It's amazing. Yeah, it is. The all right, philosophical, read it.
0: F- you know, the sci-fi adventure part's fun, but it's all about the heady philosophical ideas. Anyways.
1: Oh, so but my point was, I don't want to make a soup. Even though Dune is long and awesome, this type of book, it, like people are already intimidated, they're freaking out. I want it to be like something that you pick up, you read in one setting, maybe two settings, sittings. You know, like you can read it on the a plane. Basically, you can read it on a short flight. And you're like, I'm, I'm inspired. This is awesome. I'm gonna do a couple of the exercises, and that's it. Not that short, but you know, like 150, 200 pages max, like thin enough that it doesn't feel heavy. You, They'll you still going to charge like,
0: 11.95 for it. You realize that?
1: Well, that's, you know, that's 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 how, you know, you can't make money from a book without charging less than that, you know. Yeah. Um, just the numbers don't add up. So, you know, I think that that's what people want. It's something that you can just pick up. I don't, you know, I think there's so many books out there, especially in the self-help space where they just go on and on and on. It was almost like the publisher or the editor was like, you make the point by page twenty, but we need to fill up the rest of the pages just to like sell this thing. Mm-hmm. It's just to be like, no, just make get a couple examples and that's it. It's done. You're done unless you have new stuff to say. Like you're right. done. Don't go on and on.
0: Okay, so about the price of books, right? Um, I want to bring up this topic, and I will give you the uh, option of vetoing this topic. But I've been wanting to talk to you about it for a while, which is eBooks, which is Kindles and Nooks. And as you know, like you, up until a few years ago, and even still today, I love the feel of real books. I still have a lot of real books. I have a lot of real books I haven't read yet, which makes me very excited. But when I was in grad school, it was way more affordable to get these books on an e-reader like the Kindle. And on top of that, I could take highlights and even take notes on it with a touchscreen keyboard, which I could then access later. So for academic reasons, it makes a lot of sense. But that transfers over. Like well, I'm rereading, uh, I'm like Dune book three right now, and I can highlight the great philosophical quotes. There's something very utilitarian about it that I love. Um, and on top of this, this seems like a small thing. It, it, I would actually be interested in talking about you about formatting and the whether the font and the formatting uh, in books is important, and whether you think that the typeface or whatever is important. Bottom line with the Kindle, you choose that. You choose the typeface. You choose how you know sparse the reading is. And as
1: the reader, you choose it, not the, the author.
0: Exactly, as the reader. And I know we talked about that was we talked about this with your first book, which is that I think you could accomplish a lot of stuff with an ebook that just couldn't work in a normal book, like videos and interactive exercises. And I know it's a tough line. People have been trying to cross it for years, but. Um, I mean, how do you just feel about ebooks in general? Are, are you just completely anti, anti anti ebooks?
1: Great question. I mean, look, I think that ebooks are a very, very important um, development and are really transforming the way people read books. I mean, look at how many bookstores are closing um look at the you know how Amazon has started to dominate the market um, and how how Amazon and self publishing is really like in tandem with the ebook right all the majority of self published titles are only digital um and you know ebook has been really helpful for me to kind of build my career as a self published author and now turn into a published author um, even though that I also actually had I did a, a ebook and a paperback version so i think it, it offers a lot. A of – Beautiful paperback, uh, let
0: me say, very well.
1: Yeah, with and yeah. I spent you know time and money on hiring a kick-ass editor and designer. Very and,
0: well uh, executed.
1: Book designer and cover cover photographer, cover Classic editor. Classic
0: smiley photo too.
1: Yeah, um, great photo by by Kara um, on Bernal Heights. Wesleyan grad, Kara herself. Oh five?
0: Uh, <laughs> okay, maybe
1: not. Oh five. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She's oh seven. Oh, oh seven.
0: Oh six, oh seven.
1: Maybe 06 or 07, but all shout out to all the legendary Yeah, baby, classes, baby. Wesleyan.
0: We're but what I want to say
1: is, but what I want to say is this. Um, so I think ebooks are super important. I think that there is a lot of potential to do interactive. I think what you're saying is like interactive digital storytelling, especially with the fact that people can highlight. You see this with like a lot of blog formats, like Medium becoming really popular, where basically people can read a post on Medium, highlight the sentence, and tweet it directly or email the sentence directly so they can email a paragraph of, of a long essay, which, which is really cool and kind of, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so I think that eBooks are kind of headed in that direction of like, Ooh, like my friend shared this or how uh, Bizzle comments this on this essay. Right. I'm going to comment too on the right. same thing. You're kind of reading right. it together. So there's a lot to be said there. Yeah. I think that there have been some interesting, I think some people have tried to do the video in the, file and this and it hasn't quite caught on yet Right. Um, I think that people still love books I know I do and I think that it's one of those things that even though people are buying books online and are less likely to go to their independent bookstore and you should support your independent bookstore because bookstores are awesome uh, but I think people are still buying books even if they're buying them online they're actually okay. paperback sales okay. are still the majority of the market right, paperback no. or hardcover and I think that that's going to be one of those things that You know, the trend is obviously like if you look at CDs, if you look at records, if you look at tapes, like obviously the the book industry is slowly going to head in the direction of where the music industry is going. And I think paperbacks are going to hold out as I think books are going to hold out longer. Books have a shelf life way. If you look at the evolution of the book, how long we've read books, we're talking about like back to the printing press, man. Like books yeah. have been around forever. Yeah, but and in Africa I don't know. there's been and oral I think traditions like we, for thousands of years. I think we, we might have books. chips in our head, chips in our brains, and we still might have books because that's how much people love books. I don't know. I think it might be mm-hmm. one of those invent like technologies that actually doesn't get disrupted or whatever as soon as people think. Okay. That's my that's my uh
0: Can I, can I jump in? Can a, yeah, Bizzle, please. can, can Bizzle jump in here?
1: Oh, the Bizzle can jump in. All right,
0: the Bizzle's jump in. Let me ask you this. You oh, he's jumping. You jumping it. Oh, I'm jumping <laughs> big time, baby. I'm, I'm on the diving board, 12-foot pool. What is the most important thing to you about a book? Of all of the elements of it, if you had to describe it in a word or a couple words, what would you say is the most important thing about a book that you love? I know you loved Girl with Dragon Tattoo series, but you also love Murakami. You love some very classic books, which, to be honest, I finished some of them and not others. And... Um, well, I'm actually, more of a
1: fiction reader than you. I'm more of a fiction oh, reader than you. Right. I and, love fiction.
0: And you know, a, a weird stereotype is that by the time you hit your 30s, women read fiction and men read nonfiction. And to be honest with you, I found this to be the case for the most part, other than you. And I have a couple of male, other male friends who read a lot of fiction. And I'm just jealous of your ability to consume it. But Forget about the cover. Forget about the physical feel of the pages. When you read a Murakami book, what is the most important thing about that book?
1: Oh, well, like an author like Murakami just takes you to another world. That's why I love fiction. You know, I'm so – I'm a really serious dude. I take stuff pretty seriously. Um, you know, I'm on the computer a lot. I read a lot of stories, you know, like as, as, you, as you and I both care very deeply about politics or the world and social issues – Um, And I read a lot of nonfiction for work and my own work and kind of um, fiction is such an escape, right? And just like anything that transports you, you know, like you used to read Asimov as a kid and, and, and you still do. And these types of books, they, they transport you to another universe, you know, the Hobbit, Lord of the Rings, like you're in another world and the world makes you think about your own life. So Murakami's books, anything that like basically you're, you're in time travel forward, backwards or present that's taking you another world. I love storytelling like that. Well, I, I th- love being transported. I love I love I love just how you can create you know, good storytelling um, just brings you in and, and makes you dream and makes you think of what's possible and I love that.
0: Yeah, I mean I guess fiction's the wrong word because I obviously love fiction. I just love science fiction or super historical fiction or occasional fantasy or you know, the occasional great novel, I mean, I still read Shakespeare occasionally, I love Shakespeare's tragedies, personally, that's one of my favorites, but you read and really enjoy and internalize modern fiction, both modern American fiction and modern international fiction, and you talk about it as escapism, but I don't think that's really giving it credit, because, you know, you spend the whole day hearing about how horrible the world is, and then you read books that well, beautiful are mostly about how horrible the modern world is, and that's, that's the part sure. I have trouble with. I read Murakami, and it's like, it's so oppressive, and, and that's a that that is a tribute to his writing style. And you know, I power through them as much as I can, but I've just always admired that, and I, I guess it's kind of transitioned back a little bit. Do you draw from? novels and, and, and modern fiction in the way you write. I know that sounds crazy because you're writing clearly nonfiction, but I, I just wonder because you do read so much, it it must be there at some level. I could be reaching here.
1: No, sure. I mean I think um I think your point's true. I think a lot of fiction is really about how the world is messed up, especially a lot of like modern American writers. It's basically just they're either they, – I mean they're writing about their own – they're writing about their own lives. They just basically right. change the names of people that they know. Right. And it's pretty brutal stuff. Like they're writing about you know, people that hate their jobs, corrupt businessmen, crazy drug you know, situations, all this stuff. It's all like really very real even though it's quote-unquote fiction. Uh, no fiction is obviously fi- – I mean it's all based on reality. Someone's writing it. Right? There is some uh, truth
0: in your fiction and some fiction in your truth.
1: Exactly, Alice everything Alice in
0: Wonderland. Is Actually, that's from the Animatrix, which is a pretty obscure reference, but since half the Matrix is basically quotes or references to Alice in Wonderland.
1: Everything is creative. But, um, you know, I, I think for me in terms of influences, yeah, I, I get influences from everything. I get influences from, like, stand-up comedians, from video, from film, from music. Like, I think it's not just a lot of writers are always thought, like, it's all about what you read. And that's cool. And I respect that. I think that's definitely for some writers, like their craft is like, you know, I'm in a Kurt Vonnegut phase right now. Or I'm in a, I don't know. I always thought that was just writers being kind of pretentious, frankly. (laughs) Right now, I've been reading a lot of Steinbeck or a lot of Hemingway. And like, awesome. I love those books too. You know, I think it's more just actually, I'm writing because I just had a conversation with someone that made me think about this. And of course, I'm influenced by everything I've ever read. I'm influenced by every conversation I've had. I'm influenced by what's happening in the news. So it all influences you and you just kind of pull from different things. And, you know, inspiration can come from the most random places. I think that, um, you know, writers shouldn't be too limited to only, you know, read the greats. I mean, obviously, we should all be reading the greats. We should all be reading everything. But you should also just be living a life that excites you and being around things that excite you. And you'll have more than enough uh, to write about.
0: So this is my only request for the new book, and it's going to be brilliant, and I can't well, wait to Well, if you request
1: it. it, I better do it. Yeah. <laughs>
0: I don't want to come on it, the big cast. And <laughs> it's a very general request, and it is, I want the trademark smiley comedy and humor. I want some jokes. I want some hilarity. I want the Seinfeldian, Lebowskiian, existential, making fun of life in a fun and playful way, which you could totally pull off, and which you do do in the first book, but I would love to see the comedy. I think people love books that have that element to it, I'm, and that's not the reason you should do it. I think you should do it just because you kick ass at doing it, but, uh, but that's it, Matt. That's my only request. I want, I want some good jokes. I want to laugh my ass off and learn some shit.
1: Hell yeah. Obviously, I can't. I couldn't write anything, you know. Obviously, the book's not going to be all jokes. I'm writing about, you know, very important, relevant, and meaningful, and kind of serious topic. You know, people figuring out what to do with their lives. But the only way I write, and the only way I think, is definitely through um, the lens of of not taking anything too seriously and not taking myself too seriously. So that'll come out, and it's like that fine balance, right? Because you know, if you just write comedy, people might be like, "Why am I supposed to listen to this guy about what to do with my life?" But you had to have some of that. You know, it's like to draw people in and, and it's, a great, it's a great way to balance, you know, mm. so to kind of go back and forth, to, to take a really heavy moment and then make it light mm. and then take a light moment and be like, but actually, this is really important, you know, so it's a great tool. Um, so I'm excited about that. I'm excited to, you know, as a comedian would say, like, come up with new material, which is hard. So hard. You no. Know? So I got to go in the bat cave a little bit uh, mm. this summer and uh, really get in the zone and and get writing
0: well just to tie in uh you know the other Bizzlecast cast because that's what we do here talking about Taoism, which i know you love or you love the podcast at least my favorite Taoism, episode which is getting people to think less seriously about life without minimizing it is a really important skill And that's what people from Seinfeld to Chappelle do so well. It seems on the surface to be cynical or just jokey or whatever, but really they're making serious um, almost accusations about society or at least concerns about society that they play through comedy. And we know the best comedians are basically philosophers, right? I mean, Chris Rock is a total philosopher. Chappelle, Seinfeld, Larry David, these guys are all huge philosophers. It, they probably wouldn't admit it in those terms, but we know that they are. And so I guess that's what I was saying. It's like, you want these millennials to get pumped up, but you also don't want it. You don't want them to take themselves too seriously that, well, they're taking themselves too seriously. That makes sense.
1: Totally. I mean, it's such an interesting thing because there's this, this, this fine line because there are a lot of people that are like, does not matter? Like it just travel. Like, you know, you'll figure it out later when I was your age, blah, blah, blah. And, That message doesn't necessarily resonate with people because when you're freaking out, you like you don't want to be told that you're freaking out doesn't matter. You want to be like, I was freaking out too. You know what I mean? That's the last thing you want to be told. Like, what do you mean? Like, I shouldn't? You know, like freak out. You got like you're you you want to be told that your concerns matter. So that, but then you also also need to be like. This is our concern, dude. But you also need to be like, you know, here are all the things that I, you know, you can try a lot of different things, and it's all good, and here are some examples of what people have done. Here are examples of things I've done that haven't worked, and make that funny. So you, you give, like you're giving people inspiration and hope and, and excitement while also, you know, making them, like, feel better. Like, that's, like, my single biggest goal with the, the book, and with the next book as well, is make people feel better about their situation. If someone picks up my book and reads it and, and feels better about like what's going on in their life and what they, their options, their possibilities, I've won. That's a success. That's really it. Everything else is, on top of that is gravy. But if they just feel better, like if, if, they, if they read it and they're like, I feel less stressed, I feel uh, more excited, I feel more optimistic, I feel more empowered, I feel like I have more tools, more knowledge, uh, more access... You know, I know who to call next. I know how to, like, take one step or two steps forward. Awesome. Word. That's good. That's good enough for Smiley. You know, maybe not changing the world, but I'm doing something that, like, is pushing the needle forward. So
0: Awesome. So I, I have a user uh, mail here, actually, a fan mail. I got a, an envelope sent to my house with some fan mail. So I just thought I'd ask the question. Dear oh, Smiley. Awesome. Dear Smiley. When you are speaking, do you ever feel like Patrick Swayze and Donnie Darko?
1: <laughs> I love the new element of adding fan, fan mail to Bizzlecast. Things I go away for a month and you suddenly got a new segment. <laughs> 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 uh, it's a brilliant one, fan mail. You know, like questions from the audience. Um, it's our new. Fa- it's our new. It's our new format. And animals, <laughs> just fun with it. <laughs> it's- Jack Fowler? Well, I practically I practically raised his kids.
0: <laughs> Who, uh, well, by the way, I saw recently with my dad, because he loves that dude. I think that was actually Jack Hadda. Um is there a difference between the two? But anyways We went uh, to go Jack see him. Fowler. Yeah, we went to the fucking show. They got the animals, the birds <laughs> are flying everywhere, there's like leopards, no one knows what's going on. Brought out you a got, snake, I freaked the shit out.
1: You got Jack Fowler. Uh, but to answer your question, which I think is actually really, really good one, and coming from a genuine place, like you know, I, and for people that don't know the reference, well, the Darnie Darko uh, character, what's the character's name in that in that uh, that movie? I Patrick forget. Swayze. Yeah, the character. Like, uh, well, his-
0: it's like Kevin Bacon in Footloose. Just call him Patrick Swayze.
1: Yeah, Kevin, take it. Patrick, it's, yeah, that, the guy in um, Donnie Darko, like the self help fucking lunatic, you know, that's like supposed to have it figured out and then runs into Jake Gyllenhaal. Hall. That's so good, such a good scene. I forget what Jake Gyllenhaal Hall says. Well, no, he, what but he
0: he's, uh, uh, this is why you're so different. Patrick Swayze is preaching no fear. And, you know, if you're fat, yeah, yeah, yeah. no one likes you. Don't, you know, don't fight back. Just get rid of your fear. And Donnie Darko gets up and just says, "Yeah, I'm scared. I'm really fucking scared. But I think you're the fucking Antichrist." Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 Antichrist.
0: Yeah. Because Donnie's dealing with a, a horrific situation, you know. And this guy has no yeah. idea what he's talking about. Of course, he ends up being a child pornographer, but that's a whole different story. But, but um, yeah, exactly. yeah, and Tom Cruise and Magnolia as well. I'm, I'm very curious Tom about in Tom Cruise and yeah. Magnolia. Yeah.
1: Very well, look, convincing. like I think that there's an element like of any self-help, anytime like you're getting on stage is like, I have my life figured out and let me help you. There is that really weird kind of, it's just weird. And I'll, really? I'm like, I think some people, if you would ask, ask them this question, would be like, oh, mm-hmm. that's not me. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I'll admit that it's weird. There's, there are elements of it because you know me and I know me and I know like I'm crazy and I got a lot of things.
0: I wouldn't be friends I'm, with you if you weren't.
1: Right. Exactly. And like, if I were like, I would never submit myself, if there were awards Mm -hmm. for people that are like, got their lives all figured out, I would never submit, submit my, myself to those like awards. And, you know, and I think that a lot of like self-help people are like complete full of shit. But what I think is important is that I try to be super honest, authentic. And then I'm not telling people everything to figure out. I'm just giving them my story and giving them some tools. And like, whenever someone comes up to me and dude, man, you're da-da-da-da, I'm like, nah, I'm very honest about Actually, like, here's what's going on. I'm really neurotic about this, but I'm really glad you like my talk, and I'm glad you like the book, awesome. You know, there's too many people in the life coaching, you know, self-help guru space pretending to be the messiah. And you know, I wrote about this, a a blog post about this. Believe me, you don't want my life, you know? That doesn't mean I'm like, I'm super proud of my work, I'm proud of who I am, I'm very happy, I'm content with my life and my choices. And, and the work that I put out in the world, and yet you don't want my life because it's it's not yours, right. and I don't want your life because right. it's not mine, right. right? You believe me, there are things going through my head that you don't want to know about, <laughs> you know? Well, no, I got, a, got I, I got a rash, man, <laughs> you know, like, I got a rash, <laughs> got a rash man. man. We've all got our own problems, and that's what makes life kind of beautiful is that we figure out our own shit, we deal with it, we figure out a way to make it work, nobody's perfect. Nobody's right. gotta figure it out. And we figure out a way to, to make, you know, the bad days not as bad and the good days even better. And that's what yeah. it's that's what life is. And yeah. There is no like unlock unlock the secret of right, you know, bullshit well, marketing that people do.
0: Well, and this is this is what I think makes you different. <clears throat> and look, I'm biased. Anytime we talk about your career or my career or whatever, we're gonna be biased. But sure, I try course. and look so at it objectively. Natural. Yeah. And I think you know, one of the nice things we have going with our group of friends is that we're super honest with each other, right? I mean, whatever. We don't have to go on the list, but I think we have that dynamic. And so, I'm going to stroke your ego a little bit here, so hopefully you don't get too egotistical about that. But, I feel like most people in the self-help industry say, I want to be in the self-help industry, so what can I write or do to be in the self-help industry? You went the other way, where you said, this is what I want to write about. This is what I want to talk about. And well, okay, maybe the self-help genre will help do it best, but you have your vision ahead of time. And back to what you said before, where you're talking to people in the weird line with those people, as long as you are giving them the message that you want to give them, this is my theory of leadership, right? The best leaders don't say, I want to be a leader. The best leaders just lead by example, and then they become the leader. This is what you were talking about. And by the way, When listen to we listen to our podcast together, and you talk about writing, and you're like, "There's no moment where you like get the sword and you're the king or something like that." You made like a very Lord of the Rings esque uh, reference there, which I was very impressed, and I didn't totally didn't know this the first time you were saying, but you know, it's the same thing. Like with Aragorn and Lord of the Rings, he didn't want to be a leader, but he just was by the sheer force of his message. And you know, bottom line is, I don't know if you're trying to be a leader. I don't even know what that means. But at least it's coming from an organic, honest place, you know, and not like a cynical place. And, uh, you know, for me, that's 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 a great aspect of, of what you're doing. So there's your ego stroking for the day.
1: So well said. I mean, yeah, thank you. And my ego doesn't need <laughs> nah, I know,
0: I know, I know. I'm People, it's me and Smiley. We're brothers. We're just joking here.
1: <laughs> um, but, dude, I really like the point. And actually, I've been meaning to do some more writing about this. You know, you asked me this, like, did you have a plan for all this, dude? Fuck no, I did not. There's no possible way. And you can ask anyone, man. When I started a blog, my first couple posts, I wrote a post about like volunteering in a jail. I wrote a post about like Dumb and Dumber. I wrote a post about like Andreas and you know the Year of Love. Completely, like not professional. You know, I mean, I wanted to like make it a writing blog, but it wasn't about (laughs) this stuff. This stuff happened a year or two later. It's you just start doing something that you are interested in that you care about and that you know you are who you are and and things follow I think that there's I don't know so like it's really it's I really like that point about you don't can't want to be a leader you just are a leader. you know people that you just are someone that is doing something interesting and and cares about people and you inherently become a leader right uh, but I don't think like the greatest leaders set out to be like you know on the cover of time magazine I don't think that never it, no, it doesn't seem to happen that way well, maybe it-
0: we talked about in Bizzlecast 6 about how like the best CEOs are people that don't even want to be CEOs, right? I mean, that was like one of the conclusions we came to, is that, yeah, the best leaders don't want to be leaders. So, as we wrap up here, I guess Miley and I both need some sleep, um, but we wanted to give y'all another Bizzlecast, because we know you want it, so we're giving it to you. Smiles P, Jesse B, aka the Bizzle. um... So in college, Smiley, um, I'm sorry, in graduate school when I was getting my master's, I wrote a lot about the globalization and commercialization of religion and that it's hard to be very religious now because there's so many choices. It's a marketplace, much like the capitalist marketplace where you can, oh, I do yoga, but I do Buddhist meditation, but I go to synagogue, but I do this, you know what I mean? Sort of create your own religion, which is great from a freedom standpoint, but authenticity, doesn't always translate. And so when you have an industry like yours, where you're a competing voice against so many others, people are trying to consume you or they're trying to consume other people or consume all of it, you know, just how do you deal with it? You just kind of do your your own shit and say, screw it. I'm just going to put my message out there and people are going to get it. Or are you kind of studying what's going on with other people around you doing similar? Well, I don't say similar stuff, but in the same field, I guess you would say.
1: Great question. I, I, I'll be honest. I think I'm still figuring that out. Mm. There's a lot of noise, you know, and one of the things I talk about in my book is not letting the noise and the chatter get to you and overwhelm you because I think that that's what happens, especially to young people, um, is that there's just so much noise and mm. that can look like being intimidated and jealous of your friends doing cool things or having a hotter girlfriend than you and it's not a healthy way to live. So in term, so that's like how I how I view the general like stratosphere of of stuff happening is that there's a lot out there and there's no possible way to digest it all or make sense of it all mm. so you kind of just have to figure out you and, and and navigate from there. You know, in terms of how do I get people's attention? You know, I think it's a mix. I think you can only do so much. So my whole thing is I fo- try to focus on producing quality stuff You know, I try to make a talk good, or I try to make write a good book or a good blog post, and that's about all I can do. (laughs) And maybe you know, you because you look at these people and they've got things, so videos and this and so much and awesome. But I kind of had a revelation recently. I had a conversation with this guy about five or six months ago, and he was like, "Look, Smiley, in this industry," and he was generally talking about like the coaching life advice space broadly, writing, coaching, very broadly. He's like, in this industry, this space, you can either be like one of these, a content producer. They literally spend their entire, their entire business, their entire existence, their brand, is just pushing out content, mm. everything, photos, videos, podcasts, blogs, the whole thing. Or he's like, you can do that and you can maybe make a living doing it. You could do that. Do you want to do that? And I thought about it. He's like, or you could focus on one thing and do a really good job at that. And you'll make probably less money than the first person, but that might be something that maybe aligns more with your values. And I was like, yeah, obviously. So rather than to do 50 different things or feel like I need to, or have a public, like, you know, s- staff working for me to like maintain 17 channels, maybe I just write a book every couple of years. That's mm-hmm. really good. Mm-hmm. And the book helps me live. And I do a little speak. Maybe there's you pick the channels that work for you and you pick the amount of stuff that works for you mm-hmm. and you don't have to do everything and yeah, you're probably going to be less famous and less popular and sell less stuff and make less money. Well, maybe but, now,
0: not necessarily in the future. But that's. But
1: nice if job. you yeah. focus on just making a couple really good things, and this doesn't just apply to people that are entrepreneurs, it just applies to anyone like a, as in terms of a life philosophy rather than trying to be everywhere and do everything or get in everyone's face and be recognized by everyone, like do something that you care about and get recognized by the people that are going to recognize you. Right. And, and be really good with that community. And even if that community is a hundred people or 500 people or a thousand people, that's a win right there. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And that's moving the needle forward. That's impact. You know, I think that uh, this scale and social media has made us think that we need to affect everyone and that everyone needs to know about us, and that everyone needs to hear. Um, Everyone doesn't give a shit and doesn't need to hear about you. Like You're not that important. Sorry. Um, If you do something great that really matters to you, the people that will need to hear will hear, and that's cool. So that's just my thoughts on
0: that. So as you know, I spent a few days at a yoga ashram last week that I have been to before and lived at before and meditation is a huge thing. Twice a day you sit for half hour and it's a long time just sitting for half hour. I don't think any well, I don't think many people have that experience in their life and it can be very difficult. Um but, you know, they talk a lot about concentration. And things like Facebook destroy our concentration. I mean, they're, you know, really built, not on purpose, but just part of their structure is to keep us unfocused on life. And they talk about, you know, meditation doesn't happen. Successful meditation doesn't happen because you meditate a lot. It's because you organize every other part of your life and are focused and concentrated. And then when you meditate, maybe you can, you know, Move your brain somewhere. But as long as your life is confused and disorganized and whatever, you'll never be able to really meditate. And, you know, they talk about, like, um, you know, not keeping five books on your night table, which is totally me. Like, I always have a million books I'm reading and I'm going back and forth and whatever. But what a great psychological benefit it would be to just. Take one book, finish that book, take another book, finish that book, you know, one task at a time and whatever. And I think this is really the, and I'll give you the final word on this one before we shut this Bizzlecast down give you the last word on millennials being, you know, very advanced intellectually, but also hampered by the multitasking culture that really distracts our minds and distracts our brains. So after one day of just walking around the ashram, I wasn't thinking about my iPhone. I wasn't thinking about my computer. I didn't have that addictive thumb urge to, you know, be constantly on my phone. And so I think humans actually can escape from this, um, or at least create a sort of a temporary barrier about it. But I guess what I'm saying is millennials are brilliant, but they're also super ADD. And the generation before us, below us, is even more ADD than we are. And so you're trying to make your book shorter and more accessible, but at one point do people's attention span just not allow them to get out of sort of the paralysis of postmodern, I don't know, economics or whatever you want to call it.
1: Great question, and I totally agree. I mean, I think especially people that grew up like we grew up. At least we remember a life without Facebook and a life before email because uh, we didn't s- experience that stuff till later. I well, Facebook until college, really, or after totally. college.
0: Actually, it was uh, our senior year.
1: Yeah, senior year. We got
0: invited. We were like the important really start,
1: college. I didn't really start using it until a couple years after college, actually. Um, I did, but <laughs> <laughs> but I think. Um, yeah, I think people and then younger kids, they basically grow up with Facebook. So they're bombarded with all this stuff constantly. You know, I'm such a big proponent of digital detox, as you know, I'm, you know, work at a I'm a camp counselor at a summer camp for adults that's tech free.
0: Camp shout out.
1: Camp shout out, which is awesome. Um, but people just don't know how to deal with it. Like it's profound what happens for people when they put their phone away for, for a weekend. We're talking three and a half days as kids all the time and even Darn. in college we would probably go away for the weekend or not oh, even yeah. look at our you know it didn't matter we had landlines not, in college we had landlines freshman year it's sophomore year yeah, and sophomore yeah. Year, yeah. And junior year maybe yeah, like the whole landline. time
0: yeah
1: um which is crazy and and now it's like you don't you go to a baseball game i was at a baseball game tonight the colorado rockies game actually i was
0: at a baseball game too the phillies I lost to the saw, orioles I yeah yeah too. Oh, yeah. Uh, I almost wore my Manny Machado jersey, but that would have been being a traitor.
1: Yeah. That, 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 you can't do that. Not in Philly town. Not but in Philadelphia. Was was, not
0: in Philadelphia. Uh, oh, yeah.
1: I was at the baseball game. People are, like, on their phones. They're not even experiencing an event.
0: I'm on my phone. I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. I'm on my phone. I'm watching know, the game. You too. I know, too. It's crazy. I,
1: it's pretty bad. Well, and...
0: baseball's tough. You go to a hockey game, you're watching the game the whole time. That's why I love hockey. But, anyway, it's a different story.
1: But it's, it's a, you know, it's, it's the metaphor of like, you know, we're not experiencing moments or we're not experiencing people anymore. And, you know, people need to be reminded that, you know, in-person interaction is where, is where joy happens. Right. Right. And that the, 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 the devices and computers are incredible tools, obviously. Um, and that there's a time and a place for them, but you have to set boundaries Right. And that you have to engage yourself in, in the rest of your life because otherwise it's too much.
0: But we just, we have, you know, we have intellects and brain power going off the charts, but no one can even sit still for two minutes without checking their phone. That seems like a big weakness. Um, and I don't know, maybe there's a, a positive backlash to this where people realize <laughs> how distracted we are and how much shit we have. We won't even go there. But. Um, you know, but I think, you know, buddy, like, you're you're trying to talk to these people and talk some sense into them. So, you know, keep going. I think everyone's very much looking forward to hearing about the progress of the book and where everything goes. And so, uh, yeah, I mean, hopefully, you know, Bizzlecast going forward, we'll get a few interviews as this goes on. We'd we'll love to hear about the artistic process. I'm sure a lot of people would love to hear about that.
1: Yeah, I think that'd be cool if we track. you know, kind of did, you know, we did updates just because, uh, between now and October or November, I'm going to try to write the bulk of the manuscript. So a lot of work to do.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, this is great as always, buddy. Congratulations again. Uh, don't worry. I'm going to put some, some serious theme music in front of this podcast. Oh, uh, hell yeah. To celebrate baby. Um, but we're so happy for you. Cannot wait for smiley book version two. And, uh, yeah. Anything else you want to say to the people?
1: Well, thanks for having me on the BizzleCast, my favorite podcast out there.
0: Awesome. Much love all around. We are out.